Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your audio port in the storm on the cold, dark mess that is this season as a Fulham fan. Things got even bleaker in the quest for Premier League survival at the London Stadium on Friday night, where a 3-1 reverse against West Ham United condemned the Whites to yet another loss, with time, games and points really starting to run out. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening, and I'm joined by three voices of reason in the chaos that surrounds me. A man who crunches numbers harder than any of our defenders have attempted to tackle this season is Farrell Monk. Meet you well, Jack. If football knowledge is power, this man is the opposite end of the spectrum to Claudio Ranieri. It's the Professor Benjamin. That is unreal. Hello, everyone. And our very own YouTube sensation is in the building, the star of the show on the Fulhamish channel this season, Jack Kelly. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> you literally are the star of the show this season, Jack. It's, uh, your performances on YouTube have outplayed anyone in the Premier League. So. You, you, yeah. are, you are definitely the only one who's got a face for YouTube, unlike us, us three. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. <laughs> you've seen this beer dicey case got going on at the moment. It looks so good. Very special, very special. Before we take a long, hard look at the situation that Fulham once again find themselves in, our three-word reviews had some wonderful entries this week. And Farrell, would you do the honours? Yes, please. Uh, so we have uh, the ones that come through on the WhatsApp channels. So far, Mark Toomey with Cheetah Rico. Uh, Frank had uh, Mitrovic Cannot Scout, which is a decent one. Alex Yeo with uh, Final Hammer Blow. And then finally over to Twitter, we had uh, Matt Walls Forever Showing Troubles, which I paraphrased a little bit because I did, did like uh, the 10 out of 10 for effort for that one. Uh, Stuart Holtgren's Her Handes of God. And then someone's obviously been reading my dating profile, Three Brilliant Minutes from Justin Sanders. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> How do we go? Uh, before we continue, quick reminder that Fulhamish is back to the season by Ladbrokes. And for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Let's get into it then. Ben, were there any positives at all that we can take from this weekend's game in East London? The first six and a half minutes, Fulham were incredibly, incredibly positive. And I thought, to be fair, that it couldn't be topped in the opening 42 seconds when Ryan Babble was clear through on goal and he's had his, ho- uh, his shot saved uh, by the onrushing West Ham goalkeeper. I thought Fulham started really, really brightly and I thought that after that short break that we had in between games that we had found something new, that, that, that Fulham were going to impose themselves on the front foot and Fulham were going to take the game to West Ham and this is a West Ham that were already on the ropes uh, in the first like six or seven minutes. And then from there, it was uh, pretty much a case of same old Fulham, as the Telegraph uh, rightly summed up in their match report. Jack, you know, we, we weren't awful for, for long periods of the game. You know, we were very much not brilliant, and, and that's not me saying that we were good. But, you know, we were in it. We, we were only killed off in, in the last minutes or so mm. as, as things really started to get bleak. And ultimately, with a little bit of more desire and a little bit more effort and a little bit more application, Fulham very much could have got something out of that game. Yeah, we could have, but the fact is that when we were 2-1 down, there was zero desire to get back in that game. I, I never saw us getting an equaliser. We, we we didn't create anything in that second half. We had a couple of you know times we got into the box and, and Mitrovic had a shot blocked. and There was never a real moment where I thought we'd get back in it and, uh, and it proved to be that West Ham just went down the other end and scored the third goal. Uninspiring performance from Fulham. Another one, I suppose. It, it, you know, and, and this is how it feels. We're uninspired. There's nothing that's really kicking our way. And even the luck turned against us, Farrell. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll get onto it uh, very shortly. Um, but yeah, I've got to echo the, the, you know, the two guys sitting to my left. You know, it was a it was a fantastic sort of first five minutes. And it's it's not the first time that's happened, especially in the in the last couple of months. I think when teams come up against Fulham, they they think, well, they've been conceding goals for fun they're probably going to try and sit back and soak up pressure and hit us on the break. And Fulham decide to actually play into their strengths, which is our attacking football. And we can attack with pace sometimes. We have some got some good players. Unfortunately, they're just not very clinical. And sometimes it does come off. Remember against you know Manchester United, where there was two very, very clear-cut chances within the first five minutes and we didn't take them. And there's other times where that's actually happened. And it happened again against West Ham. But then as soon as that first five, ten minutes is over, then the opposition sort of get on their front foot, they're finally into the game and defensively we just, we let them let them troll, uh, stroll through, we back off too much. The lack of confidence that that is quite clear 
from everyone watching that the team have whenever like the other team get on on the front foot we just keep backing off we keep allowing them space yeah. which just other teams just don't do yeah of course I think my my problem from from both the performances against west ham there are incredibly large periods in time where the game just drifted from fulham into a it, what can only be described as abject nothingness, where there's no pressure on the ball, there's no incisiveness when we did have possession, there was no real desire to get out West Ham in any way, shape or form. And in that, it was blindingly obvious in that second half that the only person that really wanted to drive for them on was Tom Kearney. Yeah. And, and the rest of the players just sort of played within themselves and the, the new guys didn't really make an impact, the subs didn't make an impact and someone described Ranieri reactive rather than proactive on Twitter and uh, I think that sums up his tenure quite nicely. Jack, you know, we, we saw that line up when we were, were building up to the game and a lot of us were quite enthused by it. It looked like a 4-3-3, it looked like Tom Kearney back in the 10 and it started that way for about 30 seconds <laughs> before Fulham reverted to a 4-4-2. Is there any explanation of, of what, how we started, why we changed formations after less than a minute? And basically, what was going on? Oh, I have no idea. It's baffling, and it's kind of just summed up the whole season. I genuinely haven't understood a lot of the things that's happened this season. Um, I'm growing less fond of of, of Ranieri and and the whole club as 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 a whole, just a whole club at the moment. It's just uh, I'm just getting unmotivated to go to games, even though I have to now. So. Um, it's just very sad. Yeah, no, no one's forcing you, Jack, no. by the way. <laughs> You're not under duress from Fulhamish, by the way. <laughs> it's not that. It's just the fact that, um, you know, I hate missing games and, you know, I haven't missed one in, in a couple of years. But it's just been so, so poor. Yeah, I, I mean, tactically abject, I think, is, is the kind of genuine description. And I'll go to you, Ben, with it, because it's one of those things where, you look at that side, and on paper, that side in a four-three-three works, yeah. right? It, you know, there is all the elements needed to, in the equation to make that work. And suddenly, just as you think, right, he's done something that makes sense tactically, mm. it switches out, and suddenly Tom Kenny's back on the right, and actually he did quite well there for for long periods of the game, and and looked to kind of deliver. But we know that's not where he's most effective. We're aware of what his limitations are as a right winger, and. It just doesn't really make sense from kind of view of someone watching from the sidelines as to why those 11 players would set up in a system that doesn't suit them as opposed to one that would. Yeah, it's completely baffling for me. And I, I don't know why there's a persistence where we keep playing Ryan Babble through the middle because he is our only source of outright pace. And this is a league where you need to have pace to exploit other teams because being there and just being shrewd with your passes and your touches... Is only going to get you so far. And I think we're seeing that from Fulham is that Mitrovic can have all the great touches and layoffs that he wants, but if there's no one getting in behind, then it, it quick, the game quickly drifts away from you. And I think we saw West Ham just sitting there comfortably, mopping up yep. anything we had in front of them and letting us play in front of them. The amount of times that the ball was played up to Mitrovic, especially in the second half, and there was no one within 20, 30 yards of him. And yeah. they were able to to West Ham were able to sort of jump on his second touch every single time mm. because Mitrovic didn't have that instinctive sort of maybe one touch and then lay it on. It was more sort of one touch, look around, no one's around me, I need to take a second touch. And it wasn't just one defender up against him because there was no one within 20, 30 yards of him. Mm. Two or three defenders or Mark Noble, whoever it was, was coming back and taking that off him because they, they weren't distracted by any other attacking player. Yeah around him at all and it was very very easy for West Ham after that indeed well I mean we did have a bright five minutes we say Jack and, and it was nice to see but Ryan Babble get off the mark at the second time of asking very much and he should have put us ahead before that yeah I mean 30 seconds in but what he does is he tries to trick Fabianski by thinking I'm going to dummy it and then dink it over him but Fabianski reads it easily and it's a complete wasted chance and, and it is a good save the, the, yeah I he's mean, done well is, the, the keeper has done well but yeah it's like Man United score. at home we could have been a goal up within a minute with Vieto. We're starting games well. Burnley, um, Cardiff, United, West Ham. We scored early and yeah, it was, it was a bright spell, but but that was our best spell of the game by a clear mile and we had nothing else after that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a good ball from Cess and the first time we've, put, we've seen Cess really do anything, but it was also pretty much the only thing that Cess did for the entire game. Mm. It, it, and it seems so frustrating that someone like Ranieri has managed to 
coach Cecil of how being able to play football. That it, you know, there were points in that game where he looks like a lamb in the headlights. You know, Cecil from last year got the ball, looked up, played a pass, ran. It wasn't you know looking and driving at players. And we said this so many times in the podcast that he wasn't a kind of drive at players kind of winger. But what he did do was look up, make a pass, flick off you know roll off the outside and make sure he was in space and there was none of that and and part of that is because there was no options for him and part of that is because Ryan Sessegnon looks like he's scared to play the ball forwards and is that a major worry going forward? Well as we've seen from the last couple of years that Ryan Sessegnon has immense talent especially when he played on plays on the left wing and you know this was a player that we thought we could build a team around for for a decade if we can keep a, a hold of him for a long period of time but under Ranieri especially he's kind of lost Ranieri's lost kind of confidence in this young lad which is not good for him and it's not good for this club because if it's one player that you know might stay it's going to be him and if you look at Ryan Sessegnon's stats in that first 45 minutes he only had 10 passes to make which in 45 minutes for a left winger is absolutely ridiculous um, especially when you're trying to win football games and he didn't even attempt one single dribble that whole time. We know, as you quite rightly say, he's not really, really a drive at fullbacks, but he, he still, still can carry the ball. He, yeah. he can still he's carry the ball. to carry it. Exactly. So, you know, I'm sure Callum Chambers has had more dribbles dribbles in that, in that time as well. So that kind of screams out to you how little confidence there is in Ryan Sessegnon. And I think some of that blame should be apportioned to, to Claudio here because he hasn't given... I mean, I don't know how many times Ryan has started under Claudio Ranieri, but it's nowhere near enough for someone who has quite clearly got the quality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, it's a case of you come out in the press and during the week and you say, this is a guy that can get us out of trouble. I've got faith in this guy. You know, he's someone that's got a huge amount of talent and you hook him after 45 minutes. Yeah, I get that he wasn't great. And Cess is looking a shadow of the former player that he was last year, which is so difficult to say for an 18-year-old. But there are times when you need to let him play through the good and the bad. And players have good form, players have bad form. And Sessegnon showed all the best parts of him in that assist. But Sessegnon showed all the worst parts of him in the fact that he would get the ball and he wouldn't drive into space. He wasn't anywhere near assertive enough in possession. And, you know, at times was found really lacking against a right back that, on paper, he could have got at in Zabaleta, despite Zabaleta's good season. Absolutely. Uh, Jack, you know, let's get on to the goal. Obviously, it's horrible to concede in any manner, but to concede like that is even harder. Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, a lot of West Ham fans were saying there was some sort of rough justice in the fact that a couple of you know, couple of minutes beforehand, Rico shoves him over at a corner for apparently no reason mm-hmm. in a very strange set of events, but that doesn't really help ease the blow when, you know, you're getting no luck and then something goes against you like that. It's it's obviously from the second phase from the corner, and, and Rico obviously should be punching that further, or he should be catching it. So we kind of get ourselves into our into problems, and 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 then there's a flick on, and, and it's it's handball. There's no question it's handball, and and what Hernandez does quite cleverly is use his head to look like he's headed it. The most frustrating thing about this is one, there's a massive screen. There's two massive screens. Lee Mason could just literally look at the screen and go, "Well, that's handball," and not give it. But obviously you can't because he goes on his um, initial thoughts and, and then you can't go back and disallow it. Although you probably could. There should yeah. be VAR. Well, there is from next year, isn't there? Exactly. I know that's not going to help us in any kind of way. <laughs> but, but, but it's but not the first time this has happened. This happened against Liverpool when they shouldn't have scored. Uh, Salah scored. It, we're just getting shafted. It's so unfair, but... You know, it's you make your own luck, though, don't you? And we don't seem to be making any of our own luck. Well, I mean, it, it shouldn't have happened because Rico flapped at it. So, it's but then you know, uh, it, it was bound to happen eventually. You know, that you can look at these 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 calls, and obviously, it was not a great decision. I mean, no, to be fair, no one around us spotted the handball until it came up on screen, and obviously, with VAI, it would have been disallowed and everything. But only a few minutes previous to that, West Ham probably should have got one up with a free header at the back post. And then we conceded from another set piece straight after that. And as we've seen time and time again this season and last season, how weak we are at defending simple set pieces, really. That period in between the two goals is is a period where Fulham should have really gotten hold of the ball and taken it to West Ham and really tried to get a foothold back in that game. But instead, this is a Fulham that moved back into their shell. They stood off West Ham. They almost seemed intimidated by West Ham and... This shouldn't be how a Premier League team acts. This this isn't a team that, you know, should be sat there and 
we'll we'll let a goal in and then just try and soak pressure up for the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't think any team is capable of doing that and and trying to get away with it. You know, you wouldn't see the top team ever do that, but Fulham done it. Yeah, and I think for me that's uh, I think that's the ultimate indicator of Ranieri is that, that he's been so um like unpositive. I know that's not even a word, but like he's been <laughs> so. He's made Fulham play within themselves. He's made players play within themselves. He's made players not playing a role they want to. Absolutely, it's it's so uncomfortable. It's so clearly uncomfortable from what the squad are are used to. Obviously, there are a lot of new faces out there, but they're they're not set up to play defensively. And Ranieri is absolutely hell bent on playing a system that is so uncomfortable for the players that they've just it's all the confidence has sapped through them. I mean, it's so obvious that you cannot play a defensive system with such a unfortunately a a, a not light, very good defence. I mean, it's a, a very light squad, and I think our best defender, and this sums us up completely, is that our best defender has snapped his li- knee ligaments, changing his boots. Yeah, it sums up the whole season no, for us. And if, and if you really, it lucks out, isn't it? Everything that could have gone wrong in Fulham season appears to have gone wrong. Yeah. And there's only so much that you can plan for in things like that. You know, whether it's your, your defenders, you know, not not being able to to play because they've broken their knee, changing their boots, or whether it's getting a couple of goals disallowed and then the other team going up the end and scoring with a rolling ball or a handball goal. And all of these things eventually add up, right? And, you know, or or things like Mitrovic inexplicably raising his hand to give Brighton a penalty in in the Brighton game. All of these kind of small additions and things that you can't in any way plan for, right? You you can't look at those and go, oh, that might happen in my season. Yes, you have to have depth. But at some level, you know, unless you're Man City or Liverpool or, or one of the top teams, it's very hard to have the depth that allows you to, like, compete if you lose some key players from all areas at the same time. If you look at the opposition, I mean, they've managed without Lanzini, who's one of the best number 10s outside the top yeah, but they also four. then signed another, probably the uh, the other best number 10 outside yeah, the top four, Felipe Anderson. So it's very difficult to, or you know, it's not quite a 10, but, you know, an, an inside forward, yeah, sorry. if you will. But, like, at the same time, you know, they, they knew that Lanzini was going to be out for the season. They brought in another very, very technically gifted player to fill that gap. But also, they've been in the Premier League for, you know, however long. They've been able to build a squad over time. If they brought all of those players in at the same time, everyone would have been like, why are you bringing so many 10s in, you weirdos? Like, you, you can't get them all in a system. Well, it kind of screams out, and I don't want to get onto it too much about, you know, let's... Let's not name name the person, but you know that looks at the you know the sporting the the transfer department that we have at, have at the club. You know, you look at the past the transfer record of the last few years and think about how many right wingers we've decided to sign and not actually address some of the issues that we had at that particular time. Yeah, and it screams it screams out the last two transfer windows where we knew we weren't going to have any fullbacks. No, you could go even further than the last two transfer windows if you really want. Do you want me to go back like for the past three seasons where? We've relied on nothing but lone players, and mm. uh, every single summer, our senior squad totals around about twelve at the very maximum. And even this close season, I think we got down to as low as eleven. Yeah, and you can't expect to have that amount of turnover and have the necessary depth to survive in this league. Of course, but the you know the loan market is an exceptionally valuable resource. It's going to become less so. So the the, the, the facts are that soon that this resource is going to be made smaller because when people aren't going to be able to loan out as many players mm. and therefore there aren't going to be as many options to teams loaning out so that market is going to condense which means that sales are going to have to go up which should drive prices back down which should do something to rectify the kind of madness that's going on in the market I understand why they've relied on the loan market because it's madness to invest so much you know look we got hit by those FFP regulations the first couple of seasons when we tried to buy our way out of it and it didn't work and they've gone okay right let's learn from this let's not just go and whack loads of money on loads of random players that might not do the business. We'll loan them. We've tried to get them back. And we have brought back in Mitrovic. You know, you, you look at the other players. We tried to get Target. Southampton priced us out. And Mark Hughes kind of broke that. But also, you know, Piazon and Kalas, were they good enough for the Premier League? That's a question to be asked. Not a question that we can answer. No, right? no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean... In the long run. No, I agree. But I think that that's due to the strengths of the market as much as it is down to the kind of what we want as a system. If you could have bought Lucas Piazon for the amount we would have loaned him for in those years, I'm sure we would have bought him. Mm. But we couldn't because Chelsea want 10 million for Lucas Piazon, which is nuts, mm. right? And that's due to partly because this loan market has been able to be a farm for so long. Every club is in this situation. It's in this market where the, you know, the loan, there's a 
lots of loans out there, but loads of other clubs do not loan as many players as Fulham have no, done in the past few years. And it probably harks back to the fact we have changed our manager quite a few times and each manager comes in with a new philosophy, wants different types of players. Other players get put out onto the fringes because the manager wants to do different things. And, you know, I don't know what the relationship is in between the management and the coaching staff and, and the sporting director, you know, about what they want and who they want to fit in where and how that goes. But, you know, we, we can see the facts on the paper about how many loan players there have been and how many transfers there have been because, yes, there have been some absolutely delightful signings. Mitrovic, for example, and, you know, you've you got to go back to, like, Tom Kearney, who was an absolute snip at £4 million. But for all of those, you look at, like, Jordan Graham, you look at your uh, Johan Molos, you, you look at so many other players that hardly got a look in because the coach... Well, not just hardly got a look in, but they were quite clearly not good enough, but... The coach at the time had to give them a chance and therefore the squad has changed so much over the past four years or so. Yeah, I think you you the mentioned the turnover part. of coaches, but there's been one coach that's consistently been there for the last three and a half years. Mm. So I don't think that that's, that's a, a failing of the club. I think the failing of the club is that they haven't determined what their long-term goal is. And mm. even this summer transfer window, they said, oh, we, we would like to establish ourselves in the Premier League, but there's nothing there to suggest that they were going to build. There was there was nothing. It was a like a scattergun of very ill-placed transfers, but only one of them perhaps looked like they were building to a long-term future, and that's Alfie Mawson for me. Oh, oh. and Mitrovic, sorry. Too. Yeah, and uh, it kind of screams to me um, the similar sort of situation that Sunderland had, where basically they were just throwing shit up a wall and hopefully something stuck, which on the odd occasion it would, and then every, every season after that they would keep changing their entire squad and buying a whole new team every year, and lo and behold, look at the situation they're in now. I, I think it's maybe slightly ill-advised to compare our situation to Sunderland because I don't think that we're in anywhere near the same kind of <coughs> danger of of overturning things that badly. I, I, know that, I know that there are comparisons to be had, and I accept your point. I, I think that that's maybe a little bit just over the top in terms of how it is we go back to you know when we went down last time we were in an absolute state as far mm. as i'm concerned we had a load of aging assets that didn't have any sell-on value and we had a load of youth players who had no experience this time if i mean i'm, I'm still going to hold on to that hope <laughs> but i think it's probably more of a when now we go down and if we do then we're going to have a core of players that one will have value that will allow us to make the money back two We'll have players that can play in the championship that, you know, a lot of them, you know, look at now Steph out on loan, mm. you know, playing minutes in the championship and doing that. Marek Rodak, someone the same. You know, those are players that are getting experience. Tayo Adams just come back from mm -hmm. Ipswich. He didn't particularly play very well there. Um, and he wasn't a particular <laughs> success in the worst club in the championship, which <laughs> does suggest to me that maybe he's not quite cut out for it. But... You know, these are players that have gone out on loan in the championship, combined with a squad that's, you know, there are actually going to be experienced players that stay. Kevin McDonald, you imagine, Tim Ream, Dennis Adoy, all those players on top of Mawson, LaMarchand, players that we've brought in. And we will have a basis to build from in the championship. I know that wasn't the idea. And I know that's not the <laughs> yeah. point. But there, what, there is something there going forward that we can build on. And I think with the market changing this summer to kind of switch from a kind of loan market to a buying market... Then there are going to be there is going to be value to be had, uh, and when that happens, I do feel like we will be able to gain. Jack, I'd quite like to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, we're in a better position um, than we were last time. Um, you know, if you look at the starting eleven, we had you know Staffelius, Hutchinson, uh, Jesse Oregon. You'd imagine that Bettinelli um, would be our, our key starter next season. Although Sergio somehow says he wants to stay, and we'll see. We'll see because you know he started well when he came back into the team, and now he's he's had the few errors. So it's interesting. I'm excited because it's a chance to rebuild and 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 go again. And the championship obviously gives us the opportunity to play more games. And we've got essentially what you said: we've got a really good core. You know, Anguissa in midfield, Johansson, McDonald. It could be nice. And it, my only concern is who's going to be in charge because yeah. I, I don't want Claudio anywhere near this club anymore <laughs> yeah no I think that's kind of fair enough well Jack and I had a quick conversation on uh, what WhatsApp this week about a couple of um, hires that we were looking at and I know there's something come out in the press this week about Steve Clark of Kilmarnock. of Kilmarnock and Reading fame I'm not on this at all it's personally. so uninspiring um, it is an, it's an uninspiring decision it's one of those ones that screams safe pair of hands which are decisions <laughs> I don't usually don't want like now. very no. much um, I, I think that 
if we go down, we're going to have to look further afield. The one that scared me even more than Steve Clark was the links to Victor Sanchez, yeah, um, yeah. formerly of Betis and Deportivo, Out you go. and Olympiacos, who basically, yeah, I think he has the worst record in Deportivo history as a manager. Two yeah. wins in 30, I think it was. Mm, yeah, uh, he managed 50 games and totaled four wins. <laughs> Scott, he got two, two wins in a run of 22 games before he was sacked and then lasted two games at Olympiacos. So would be a great hire. I think that one, <laughs> by all accounts. I saw that one in the press and I was like, oh, no, I don't think so, please. Yeah. Um, but look, the, the board needs to think very carefully about who they appoint as Claudio's successor when he goes. Uh, and I, I think that in, in the long term, they need to be looking at someone to build a project with. Mm. You know, we, we've done best when we're a project club. You know, Luke under Ikanovic and where we built something that, that reflected a managerial system. And I, I think that will take time and, and people need to give that time next year. And, and although I say we have a good core and I, I do believe that, you do need to give a new manager time to settle in with a squad. You know, it might take two years, it might take three years to re-establish ourselves as a force in the championship. And that's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy considering where we've come from. But at least it's going to be a chance to, to reset the foundations and try for, if, if we do come up again, to have a squad that's able to compete and able and, and ready to compete. And I, I think that's very, very important. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I totally echo that. And I, I, that is kind of like the dream where we build like some sort of footballing dynasty, if you can call it that, where we have the same manager for five or six seasons and builds like a really strong group of, of squad players. They all rack up 100 or so appearances mm. or, or so on. But unfortunately, this dynasty that runs the club haven't really shown that at all. You know, there were... T- points under Savisa in his first season and then towards the beginning of this, his second season full seasons that is that you know they were ready to to fire the you know fire him a, a, a couple of times it was only sort of like by luck that the fortunes turned and then we started getting results you know I don't think the Khans want that you know it, it it you know it does sound like that that Slavisa getting sacked might have been a, a Shahid Khan thing rather than Anyone else? Like that, yeah. um, and if that's the way that the club is want, you know, if that's the way that Shahi Khan wants it to be, that's the way that Shahi Khan wants it to be. Is the board can't can't influence that at all. As as popular as Slavisa was, you know, there are still. I heard Slavisa Jukanovic chants at, on Friday night, especially at half time mm-hmm. when Fulham were two one down. That's how popular he was, even considering the poor form that we were showing at that particular time. And hopefully that the Khans and whoever the decision makers are after all can actually see that, that the fans want some stability. They want to keep those popular players and managers. And it's not kind of a case of, well, they're not producing the results short term. Therefore, it's not in the long term interest of the club when clearly the fans actually want the hang on to actually good managers. We need a long term vision. Uh, You look at a few clubs in the championship, Sheffield United, Norwich, Preston, Birmingham. They've, they've got this patience with their manager. You look at Chris Wilder, he's been there a long, long time. And now we're starting to see that they're beginning to progress under this incredible system they've got. And they probably will get into the playoffs, if not go up automatically. It's something that we need to look at and go, okay, we want to be like this. Like, I don't mind going down and waiting two years to then start to build up something again. It happened before. I don't mind it happening again. It's so exciting to see something build. I just think that's the way we should go. All right, well, we'll have a little look at the Southampton game this week and we'll answer and absolutely stack your questions after the break. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Farrell Monk. Hello, friends. Ben Jarman. Hello, Jack Collins. And Jack Kelly. <laughs> You're right. I like how Ben is now sort of fixing us between Jack Kelly and Jack Collins by calling us by our surnames. We're going to talk Southampton. Fulham are off to, not the Dell, to St. Mary's on the South Coast on Wednesday night, where they will face fellow relegation strugglers. We thought the Southampton were going to be fine when they appointed Ralph Hassenhutel to take over from Mark Hughes. That hasn't gone quite to plan with them. Ben, how did Fulham beat Southampton? Fulham beat Southampton because Southampton haven't got any recognised strikers for this game. Apart uh, from Chazza. Apart from Charlie Austin, who they left on the bench this weekend, which isn't a good sign for a, for poor old Austin. Uh, they're without Michael Obafemi uh, and Danny Ings. The actual all, prodigy himself. Mm. And, uh, and uh, Ings is also out for them. I think that we need to take this game by a scruff of the neck. Uh, Southampton are also missing Mary Lamina, who's been out since December, since, probably since that really good game he had against us, actually. Yeah, good, port, good player. Um, 
and this is a game that with him being absent in, in the heart of their midfield is something that we can take um, as a positive and really get hold of the ball. I think we need to take it on the front foot. TC came out today, uh, which is Monday, and came out and said um, that we need to take the, the front foot, we need to be passing, we need to be creative um, for the rest of the season just to hold our heads up higher, win some dignity back, and this is a game that we should be looking to do it in. Jack, yeah. can we win? Well, we'll take the lead and then we'll lose 2-3-1, probably. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Armstrong, um, Redmond... They're all dangerous players. Redmond causes so much problems when they came down to the cottage. War prowls in the in the middle as well. It, it's tricky. Southampton, I kind of haven't really been paying attention to Southampton this season. They've kind of just been floating by. They'll probably survive. Actually, just I think. Yeah, just. just. Oh, Cardiff will go down obviously. So now we'll we'll lose, but we'll score probably. You know what? They're, they're playing this weird sort of like five slash three at the back mm. system at the moment with some very young wing backs. The fact they're leaving. Ryan Bertrand on the bench is a little bit of a stick out to me and I can't figure out why that is but uh, Matt Target is actually the best left back in the league well we obviously we know that <laughs> apart but, from Joe Bryan sorry but, but Jan Valerie on the other side is is perhaps someone that we can get at and if we can mm. get him rolled up like he was against uh, who was it he got, got sent, sent off. off against Leicester a few weeks ago if we can get him rolled up like he was that game you know really get into his head a little bit then I think we've got a chance there Babel could maybe wind him up yeah. what's your thoughts on this one yeah there's definitely an opportunity there and uh when we when we when Fulham played Southampton back in December, yeah, December, November, it might have been. Um, God, it seems like an absolute lifetime. Yeah, ago. we won a game. That was weird, wasn't it? Ranieri's first game. But it was like, it was quite incredible because Southampton couldn't score any goals and Fulham couldn't score any goals beforehand, and yet it finished three two. But you know, it, they have got some absolute weaknesses in there. They keep chopping, chopping and changing their their squad at the moment. Obviously, sounds some, familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, some of it enforced. I mean, they are playing Jack. Jack Stevens at centre back at the moment, who's absolutely poor. You know, he should be playing for Fulham, really. My hot take is that Jack Stevens is the worst centre back in the league, including both the Fulham centre backs. No, and that is you, saying something. He but is do you rubbish. not remember Wesley Hoot against us? <laughs> yeah. Literally <laughs> the worst performance I've ever seen. Yeah, that any was, but he got, he got sent away. He's actually not in the Premier League anymore. So and then he's he got no sent off on his debut for Celta. He's Lovely. no longer allowed to be considered in the worst, uh, worst yeah. players in the Premier League category. But Jack yeah. Stevens, on the other hand, is awful. At the weekend, he managed to play a back pass directly out of play to where Angus Gunn then sort of slid, kept it in by accident, and then Arsenal went up and scored immediately. And it Excellent. was like one of those things that you watched and you were like, this is actually like watching Fulham. Yeah. Like we're, they're, they're also really bad, which well, is quite fun. It might be a laugh. Well, yeah, yeah I'd, be, I'd be banter, to be fair. I don't know. I, know, I think, Jack, you going down because you're... It's, it's, your, my, it's, it's your my birthday. birthday. It's so Fulham might big win. Big boy. Yeah. Yeah. So a birthday present, please. And, you know, I, I just hope that it might be an absolute humdinger of a game uh, and uh, Barnstormer and all those other cliches. You know, I just, I just, just really want... I just really, really, you know, we, we've we got nothing to lose now. You know, have some entertainment. That'd yeah, be good, absolutely. I'm just like, why don't we go at them? We have got quite clearly attacking, uh, attacking options. They obviously don't. We, we might as well just throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying, like, the whole game, you know, Harry Redknapp style, let's just give it a go kind of thing. You know, let's let's approach this game, play our best players where they should be all playing. You know, let's play Sess on the left, let's play Tom Kenny down the middle, let's play Ryan Babel on the right or the left or wherever, play Mitrovic up up top. That's probably one that's not even gonna change. But let you know, we've got a good attacking team. Let's utilize let's play to our strengths. It's knowing, you know, a good coach and a good player knows that you should always play to your strengths and not your weaknesses. Yep. And that's what Fulham should be doing. Zambo played all right when he came on against West Ham. Does he get a start? I would say so. Against uh, ahead of who though? That would be the big question. I no, was thinking about just went play Seri. I'd quite, well, I'd quite like a, tr- a trio in there again. Yeah, Zambo, Seri, and and Kenny would get my juices flowing a little bit yeah. after that performance on on Friday. I think he was actually quite I good. I would be dropping Callum Chambers, who has been. That's he fine. wasn't very good this weekend, but he he, he has been good for us in general. I was I was I would argue that perhaps that we should um, put Callum Chambers at right centre back where he belongs. Well, yeah. Yeah, um, with Nordvite. Yeah, what with, is this obsession that Fulham have got with playing non-centre halves at centre half? <laughs> like, Dennis Adoy is not a centre half. Harvard Nordvite is not a centre half. Yeah, he did all right as well, to be fair. Yeah, he did all fine. right. I did like parts of his game. I thought he read the game really, really well and was quite strong in the tackle, but these pointless long diagonal balls that he seems to be obsessed with yeah. didn't really like that much. Could Alfie you imagine Morrison if, yeah, I was going to say. 
Alfie yeah, Elsie used to them. He's, he's fine though. Yeah, so I mean, look, I, I would rather a defender that can defend. So Norvai can probably stay as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I do I, have after, to play Max though. I do uh, like Max. After yeah, like the Max. last few weeks, I, I'd, I'd say drop Tim Ream as much as I love him. It's, it's just it's yeah. just not cut out at the moment. <clears throat> the amount of times he was just he was just so scared when anyone was fronting him up and was just dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping and just inviting pressure on. I, I, I swear I only saw Dennis Adoy run one way on Friday and that was backwards <laughs> no he did one marauding run in oh, the first yeah. half yeah. Oh, 18 yeah. minutes tweeted yes. about it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. did tweet about good. it good right I'm going to get Jack Kelly's preferred 11 for this game and then we're going on to questions Jack um, go as long as Adoy's not playing right back I'm happy but um, I'll go with Rico Christie Lamarchon Nordvite Brian Seri Chambers Kenny Barbell Sessegnon Mitrovic excellent that's the lineup I'd probably go with as well, although maybe Big Frank. Right, Ben, let's get some questions in. Let's go. So I really like this one to start us off. This is from Pat Dodds at Fulham Pat. He says, anyone know the record amount of half-time subs in a season? As I'm sure we've absolutely annihilated it. And what does that say about Claudio Ranieri? It's almost admitting wrong selection and tactics every single game. So let's start with our most famous guest here, Jack Kelly. Yeah, I, I feel as though he just gets things wrong. Um, uh, and even on Friday, bringing off Seri, who I thought had a fine first half. Yeah, he did absolutely great. It's 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 understandable to bring off Sessignon. He did he did he did nothing apart from set up the goal. But but even then, uh, I kind of wanted to make the point that Sessignon, after all this, um, what Ranier has been saying in the press conferences, don't haul him off at half time, just because that's just going to drain the confidence even more. But anyway, um, substitutions. Yeah, we've made a lot of substitutions at half time. I, I think it's down to just Renier is admitting that he's just made mistakes and trying to rectify them, and it obviously doesn't work. Interestingly, earlier this season, Arsenal had a little bit of this with Emery because he was basically making change. They lost every first or drew. They weren't winning at half time mm. during their entire 22 game unbeaten run, Arsenal. And basically, the kind of two ways of looking at it were one, Emery sets his team up wrong every game, or two, Emery's a master of substitutions. Mm. The issue with Fulham is that we don't win the game at the end, so, <laughs> <laughs> so there's oh. no real positive to take out. But you can't be like, oh, Ranieri's really good at substitutions because he's not. Um, <laughs> and he's in, not good at team selection. Though. No, so so basically, yeah, it ends up with him being reactive. We end up having to kind of play on on these weird... And you look at the substitutions like the one against Man United where we brought on an extra defender at, at when we were losing and it all sort of sums up Ranieri's system. You can, you can kind of vaguely try and understand what he's getting at. He was obviously trying to get more width in the team, but it didn't make any sense mm. in the longer kind of grander mm. scheme of things. Yes, basically, he's reactive. Like you said earlier, he's reactive rather than proactive. He doesn't seem to study his opponents before Fulham play any games. We always were critical of Slavisa for sticking with a system no matter what the opponent was going to do. We were always like, Slav, this doesn't always work. You have to adapt your tactics sometimes with who you're playing. And especially earlier this season, we were like, you can't just carry on every game. But Ranieri seems to not do that. He seems to like pick a team not based on anything. He doesn't seem to, he doesn't stick with the team before. He just makes a change almost for the sake of it. Mm. And it's unbelievably frustrating as a system in terms of, at least with Slavisa, you knew what you were getting. You know, under Ranieri, he doesn't seem to go, all right, we're playing a tough team away from home this week. We'll put five at the back. You know, he decided to change back to four at the back for the United game. And then when it was working, he changed it. It, It's just all very strange. And and I just don't really know what he's bringing apart from. I I do actually believe this coaching is probably all right. And I do think the players not I don't think like like him is the right word. But I I don't think they'll have any major problems with him because he is quite a, you know, a nice bloke by all accounts. People do tend to like him. And he is he does have pedigree as a coach. But in terms of match selections, I have no idea what is going through his head 99% of the time. It's almost like he believes his own nickname and tries to play up to it. Yeah. Like, you know, we always talked about Slav Bingo, but it was just about the, the players. It was never about the actual system. Yeah. Whereas I'm not entirely sure whether Claudio Ranieri knows what system he really wants to play and there and then doesn't know which players to put in that in that system at all. And it's and even if it is, it's not exactly completely correct every time and it it, it is you know, Ben you said earlier with with someone um, tweeting in about how he's reactionary rather than proactive which 
It does sound like it, absolutely. It just sums it up, doesn't it? That's, yeah. that's the kind of main kind of point of where it is. And, and I don't know where you go from that. There's, there's There are massive upsides to being a reactive manager mm. in terms of how you can affect a game when you change it. But reactionary is probably an over-the-top thing to say about Ranieri because he is reactionary in terms of he changes things, mm. but he doesn't change things to affect them. He just almost changes things for the sake of it. And mm. a reactionary manager at least would would look at it and be like, that's a problem, I need to ad- address yeah. that. It doesn't seem to be that. It just seems to be like, oh, I'll make a change now because I'm expected to make a change. Well, the, you know, the, I think what the what you're trying to say is that there is there is strength in flexibility. Yeah, but it's, of course. it's knowing when to actually be flexible, when to stick or twist effectively. I mean, Roy Hodgson, who's probably our greatest ever coach, um, wasn't very, like, he wasn't reactionary. He was like, no, we'll continue the way we're playing. We know this is the way we play. I might switch a player or two. And, you know, more often than not, it did come off because this is the way that the players have been coached and they know exactly where they need to be and where they need to play. And these are all things that you guys at home know about already about Roy Hodgson. Um, But it screams out to me that Ranieri just keeps changing it for the sake of changing it. He does. It sounds like he doesn't actually trust the players to actually implement his vision. Right, Ben, what's next in the post bag? Uh, we had a, a nice question from Christian Liedberg um, with a, an equally nice follow-on from someone who calls himself Romeo Dunn on Twitter, but his at name is actually Jordan actually, Harrison. If that's actually your name, that is the best name ever. <laughs> no, his name's Jordan Harrison, oh. I believe. Uh, Christian says, uh, I feel like this question gets asked every week, but is it really time to drop the new signings for the likes of K-Mac and Betts for next season? And do you know how many we're taking to Southampton away? And a follow-on from it, was uh, from Jordan was it looks like there are some errors that are creeping into Rico's game and obviously we saw one of them uh, this Friday is it time that we dropped him and gave someone who we know will be here next year i.e. Fabry or Betts a bit more of a go in the tail end of this season yeah might as well because it's always good to get Benelli's confidence up because he'll probably be asked Benelli's Benelli's had surgery he definitely can't play anymore oh yeah that's true (laughs) that is true it's just a sex change. Um, I'd like to see McDonald because I feel really sorry for Kevin McDonald. He's literally just been sitting on the bench and not uh, even, not even. Yeah, exactly. I think his last appearance was against Wolves on Boxing Day, and he came off the bench. Um, yeah, um, why not? I mean, if we're already down, you might as well play some of the fringe players. Um, we'll probably be down by Everton at home anyway, so they'll give it a chance to just let them run free, express themselves. I would tend to disagree a little bit. I think as long as we have a mathematical chance I would continue to play play our best players regardless of what you know what might happen in the future um, while there is still a fighting chance as, as much as as much as it is small but we might as well fight until the very end because you never know what's going to happen but you know and I, I do I do agree that there is some some credit to that and we should be playing some of those fringe players but you know let's let's always believe it could happen mm. and not completely resign ourselves to what might seem an inevitable mm. fate yeah I think there's a there's a middle ground to be struck between the two kind of ideals I don't think that bringing K-Mac into this system is going to do us any favours right now mm. you know we, we didn't expect such a significant drop off from him and we've also seen that Tim Ream who has been trusted to continue hasn't been able to cut it at this level and if I'm being perfectly honest, I love Tim Ream to absolute pieces, but I'm not 100% sure that he's even going to be able to cut it at championship level again because I think that whatever happened to him in that injury in the postseason and whatever he expended in himself to get him through last season in the form he was in has almost sort of blown the casket and there doesn't seem to be that kind of reading of the game, that kind of ability to you know drive with the ball and all of those things that made him such a wonderful player last year. We haven't seen any of it and... Some of it is down to a step up in level, but I do believe that some of it is probably down to not recovering fully from that injury. And I think going forward, he will be uh, still a leader in this side and someone that we should 100% be staying, but someone who isn't going to be a regular starter. If we're going to blood new people, then we should be blooding youth players that we think have a significant part to play next season. People like Luca Della Torre, people like Matthias Kate, people who have proven their worth in those youth teams and are you know able to play in games that don't matter i'm with farrell i think we until it's mathematically done we continue playing everyone mm. to their level but once that happens it'd be worth getting a run out to those kind of players because i think that that would be beneficial for them in the long run and also convince them that there is a part for them to play next season in terms of in goal 
Uh, I kind of agree in terms of that Fabri that Rico has had some errors drop into his game recently. I don't think he's been at his best, and we have seen those kind of things. I still think he's probably just about the best keeper we've got, uh, and would do better with a better defence in front of him. However, you know he's as likely to be here next season as Fabri is, and with Bettinelli out and Rodak out on loan, I don't see why on earth he would change the goalkeeper mm. with with so much left, you know, so little left to play for. Basically, mm. I've got a feel for Rico slightly because he is so exposed and has you know, 20 or 20 shots just in the box, apparently against West Ham, that he's likely to, not every single thing that he does is going to be absolutely perfect. Mm. And, you know, he's just exposed by what is a team in front of him that is lacking so little confidence. And he's just having to fight off 40 or 50 things. You know, he probably had to catch and punch about 10 different corners on on Friday night. So I do feel for him. And I think criticism against him is, quite harsh to be honest got a couple more Ben yep got a couple more uh, we'll go with one from uh, Ollie Wosk um, he says one win in our last eight matches is definitely the sort of form to sack a manager at any team and we haven't even got our treacherous run of fixtures out of the way yet do you think the Khans have the guts to sack Ranieri such a short time after getting him in despite the fact that he was risk free yeah I think they got the bottle I don't think that them not having the bottle to fire managers has been an issue thus far, and I don't think it will continue to be an issue. I don't think anyone enjoys doing that kind of part of the business. I can imagine they get no joy. Out I'd of love to do to, it. To, well, I'd love to fuck Ranieri, yeah, yeah. but no, not, not in general. I, I don't think that sacking Slavisa would have brought them any joy whatsoever. I don't think that would have been uh, a parting of ways that, had, that they enjoyed or, or wanted to do. I think it was something that they felt was forced upon them, if, if if anything at all. And I think that when it gets to that kind of point and you have to make a decision like that, which is your kind of head against your heart, it's often very, very difficult. I think it would be far less difficult to do this. I mean, Ranieri, he promised, you know, more solidity. We haven't really seen that. He promised, you know, that he would understand the team and adapt to it. We haven't really seen that. You know, and he he promised that he would work with these players, and we we've seen him alienate some of the you know favourites from the touchline, and that's always hard to see. And you know, look at someone like Puel at Leicester, where he was actually you know not doing that badly, considering mm. all things considered, Leicester are probably just about safe. Um, but he alienated the fans and 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 some of those players as well, and and I think that that proved his downfall as much as anything else. You know, I think fans are much more willing to forgive a bad run of results if you develop rapport with them and you understand what the fan base is looking for and I don't think we've had that at all with Claudio I don't mm. think he's come in and won over the fans in any kind of way that I thought he would I thought he would he would really win over this fan base and bring it you know take them to his heart and, and we haven't really seen that and I think that this sacking would be far less you know difficult for the Khans to, to enact mm. even though it Great. is a short term the, the only issue is that is is that over the last two Premier League seasons, we would have sacked two managers across the season. We would have had, we, if we'd brought someone in for the end of the season now, we would have had six managers across two Premier League seasons, which is ludicrous. But it, he, the form warrants a sacking. Yeah, he needs to go, and it's just whether we want to bring in someone to try and help us have a great escape, which is almost impossible, or bring in someone just to get ready for next season. Just to or just let it play out. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the other option. Go again. What what I'm slightly fearful of is that they won't sack Ranieri because he has come out and said, "No, I'll stay next year." And he's got, you know, the, perhaps they will look at the pedigree that he's got in his in his past jobs. You know that now he does have that Premier League winners, winners medal and in his locker that they will look at that and think, "Well, this guy has actual sort of pedigree and may not sack him." But not that I want that to happen. I think that's a real sort of dangerous thing that could. That could, you know, it's the same thing with McGath, really. Like his previous record in, in the Bundesliga on the face of it looks incredible. But if you look at everything else around him, it was absolutely, you know, titanic disasters. Absolutely dreadful, yeah. And, you know, I just fear that that's what the people in charge have seen. Look, for me, Ranieri is a boom or bust manager. And it's been clear throughout his whole managerial career. He either does exceedingly well, like he did at Leicester, or it's excruciatingly bad, a la Greece. And the second half of that season at Nantes. (laughs) And it is, unfortunately for Fulham, and unfortunately for all of us sat around this table and those listening, it's a bust season. Absolutely is a bust season. Anything that could have gone wrong for Claudio has gone wrong. 
everything he said he was going to bring to the table, he hasn't. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's another one of those jobs where it's going to look bad for him, but ultimately something else might crop up and he'll do amazingly. Yeah. And I think the the last question from us is is a tough one. And uh, this comes from Lawrence Craven. He says the question. He did say good to see Farrell Monk back, but I don't know. Mm. I don't know if any of us feel the same way. To be honest, no, you should disregard a, his question. It's, then it's a, no, it's, a no, it's a no from me. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. He says um, I finally got a fan. <laughs> he's he got a lot actually. Uh, question. He says in one word. Can you sum up the reason for what has happened this season? <laughs> he says he won't accept yes or no answers. Uh, I got one. Naivety. I like it. Well, outside the box, there, haven't you, Jack? Decision making. That's two. Have you, have you hyphenated? <laughs> yes. Okay. You, How many words can you hyphenate in a row? <laughs> well, that one usually is. That spiel. one usually is hyphenated, though. I feel like you've given yourself some sort of room there. What's the word when writers like deliberately hyphenate two words? Portmanteau. Yeah. Yeah. That's you've done you've that. Forced two words together. Yeah. Mm. Like, like in the German language. Well, it's interesting because portmanteau is a portmanteau. Ooh, love it. In French. If Sammy was here, he would confirm that. He would. He would. I might go with chaos Mm. because I feel like a lot of the things that have gone wrong are outside of people's control. And that is, you know, and and that in itself has spiralled into other things. And I would suggest that that is part of the reason that Fulham are in the position that they are. Ben, do you have one? I can't go any further than what you guys have. I've already answered Lawrence. I said everything. Everything. Fair <laughs> yeah. enough. That was your <laughs> All that's left for us to do is, well, for Farrell to do, I suppose, this week is to name his podcast. Farrell, what are you going for? Uh, thank you for the responsibility. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I'm hoping for a portmanteau. You, I trust you in the way that, you know, Claudio Agno does not trust Ryan Sessignon. <laughs> so go on, off you go. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so I'm actually going to go for one of the three word reviews that I thoroughly enjoyed. Although he did um, flaunt the rules slightly, um, but I'm being kind to Matt Wall and naming this pod Forever Showing Troubles Forever Showing Troubles excellent Jack you got anything to plug yeah we're doing a preview with a 100% Chelsea on Friday that's with Louis and Lewis from 100% Chelsea that'll be up on the YouTube channel Friday evening make sure that you check out the YouTube channel all the good work that Jack is doing there while you're at it make sure that you check out the latest article on Fulhamish which Sammy has written about the hashtag stop the greed about ticket prices this season and how ticket prices have to stop there's a lot to be done there and you'll see more from us around this topic on the coming weeks but it's really important get involved with the hashtag stop the greed on twitter on instagram all of those places you'll find us ben and barrel are literally taking pictures with ben doing a hashtag sign which i'm kind of vaguely into at the moment uh, and not, all that, not all hashtag united though just fyi okay. yeah, all that's actually now. left for me to do is say thank you to barrel monk no, thank you, everyone. Thank you to Ben Jarman. Thanks, Jack Collins. I've got something to plug just quickly. Uh, Jack Kelly's fan cam oh, after West you. Ham is very, very good, and it features a great moustache. It does. It features, in fact, it features everyone. It features pretty much everyone. Yeah. It says everyone in this room apart from me, plus Sammy, all the lads yeah. popping out on the, on the yeah, fan yeah. cams. So make sure you go and check that out. Uh, you can abuse some of the West Ham commenters in the bottom oh, section. They're fantastic. Well. They're they're absolutely brilliant. They are very good. Um, thank you to Jack Kelly. Yeah, stop the greed. Thank you. Stop the greed. I've been stop Jack the Collins. Greed. This has been Fulhamish Podcast. You white. We'll see you at Southampton. Buy me a birthday drink. Bye-bye.